Well, on this beautiful morning, we'll turn again to Deuteronomy chapter 33. And we'll read a passage from that in a few moments. Last week, I think it was, I mentioned that Rick Warren was having an apologetics conference. And it was brought to my attention that the weekend featured Roman Catholic Peter Kreeft. He's an apologist, an apologist for the Roman Catholic Church. In his book, Ecumenical Jihad, Ecumenism and the Culture War, Kreeft says it is very likely that there is a hidden Christ in pagan religions so that Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, etc. will be saved through Christ and his grace even though they do not consciously know or worship him. These are extracts from his book. Kreeft urges his readers to dedicate themselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary because Mary is the one who will win this culture war and is the one who triumphs over Satan. Kreeft says Allah is not another God. We worship the same God. Kreeft worships the wafer of the Catholic Mass because it is Christ, he says. He thinks that God prefers to work through the intercession of Mary and the saints. Kreeft says that he will follow the Pope everywhere he leads. Kreeft is a heavy promoter of Catholic contemplation, which, as we know, is sweeping through evangelicalism. He attributes his conversion to Rome partly to the writings of the mystic John of the Cross. And this chap was one of the speakers at Rick Warren's apologetics conference. I don't know whether you, you, I'm sure we're all aware of the fact that the King James Bible is being celebrated on Radio 4. Large passages of the Bible are being read today. It started this morning and uh, started with creation and it's working its way right through out the day. There's a very good program on three individual programs on the King James Bible. It's its 400th anniversary and uh, they were on during the week. But there was an interesting article in the Independent in connection with the King James Bible. And here's an extract of what it says, praisey of what it said. It said, after four centuries, the symbolic power of the 1611 Bible remains mighty indeed. After a mixed reception, it bedded down fairly slowly as the English Bible of choice, first in the British Isles, and then in the North American colonies, and finally in every region where trade, colonization, and evangelism implanted groups of English-speaking Christians. It became a masterpiece of English prose to be enjoyed by people of all creeds and none at all. 
Today it is a commonplace to note that the words and rhythms of the King James Version and its source translations shape the speech of countless millions who never open a Bible or enter a church. Somehow the language of the 1611 version never falls from grace. Never falls from grace. And they give quotations in this passage referring to the places where, say, grace is mentioned. Galatians 5 verse 4. Even if its message falls on stony ground, Mark 4 verse 5. In the secular age where ignorance of religion goes from strength to strength, Psalm 84 verse 7. Among lovers of filthy lucre, 1 Timothy 3 verse 8. Who only want to eat, drink and be merry, Luke 12:19. We know for a certainty that these resonant words endure as a fly in the ointment. That's Ecclesiastes 10 verse 1. And a thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7. Of the powers that be. They can still set the teeth on edge. Jeremiah 31.29 Of those who try to worship God and mammon. Matthew 6.24 But does this ancient book, book prove that there is no new thing under the sun? Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9 Now cast its perils before swine. Matthew 7 verse 6 and act as a voice crying in the wilderness. Luke 3 verse 4. A drop in a bucket. Isaiah forty fifteen Of unbelief. A drop in a bucket of unbelief. No longer a sign of the times. Matthew 16 verse 3. But a verbal stumbling block. Leviticus nineteen fourteen, Or else all things to all men. While the blind... Lead the blind. Matthew 15 verse 14. Isn't, and that's a, a quotation from the independent article with all those quotations and a few that I, I didn't mention. People don't realize, of course, that there are passages in scripture and little expressions like that, a drop in the bucket, setting your teeth on edge, all come from the translations and some of these expressions were actually put in there by Tyndall and they included them in the King James translation. On the programs that occurred during the week, one comment made in the program speaking of the Roman Catholic Church burning Bibles. It was said that they burned the title deeds. They burn the title deeds. And they, they can't get over that fact that the Roman Catholic Church burned the word of God in order that their people would not read it. They burned the title deeds. And instead, they have produced a mixture of fables, gross distortions, evil, mystical, demonic imaginations. And then they try to pronounce their doctrine. And present it as the truth of God. But it's interesting that at this time, when England at the moment, or Britain at the moment, is so materialistic that the BBC is at least showing some uh, recognition of the King James Version.
And we should be thankful to God that it has been read today on Radio 4. We should pray that many who listen to it. It's interesting that they started right with the creation this morning. And it's going to go on right through. Right. Turn to Deuteronomy 33. And we read a few verses there. Starting at verse 13. And of Joseph he said. Blessed of the Lord be his land. For the precious things of heaven. For the dew. And for the deep that coucheth beneath. And for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun, and for the precious things put forth by the moon, and for the chief things of the ancient mountains, and for the precious things of the lasting hills, and for the precious things of the earth and fullness thereof, and for the good will of him that dwelt in the bush. Let the blessing come upon the head of Joseph, and upon the top of the head of him that was separated from his brethren. His glory is like the firstling of his bullock, and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. With them he shall push the people together to the ends of the earth, and they are ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. Interesting that passage, all these wonderful blessings which the people, the tribe of Joseph was going to inherit. All the blessings in the land in which they were going to dwell. All the, the, the good things that was to be available to them. The sun was going to bring forth precious fruits and the, the things that the, the ores and the... Uh, Minerals that were going to be produced in the hills and in the mountains. And the blessings which would pour forth upon the children of Israel when they moved into the promised land. Sadly, as we constantly say, they failed to take the promises of God seriously. And eventually, as we know, they were taken into captivity in Babylon and elsewhere. As I was reading this, I was conscious of something we looked at some time ago, of the various types of people in the Bible. It's the Midrash. Something that happens once will happen again, and maybe again, and then eventually there will be a complete fulfilment of that particular thing. As we study in the Old Testament, some of the people in the Old Testament in type show aspects in their lives of things that are to come in the New Testament and even in the future from now on. We have people who typify the Antichrist in some way. Nebuchadnezzar, he was a despot. He was a supreme ruler. He built a statue and wanted people to bow down and worship it as God. And that long will happen again. 
with the Antichrist. We had that type in the Old Testament and we'll have the reality when the Antichrist comes during the Great Tribulation and he will want to be worshipped as God. And these things in the, Old, in the Old Testament were shadows of things to come. In Colossians 2 verse 17 it says, These things were a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. They were a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. These Old Testament prophets, these Old Testament saints, they reflected in many ways the characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the law and teaching in the Old Testament, they were shadows of the reality, the substance. And that verse says, which were a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. The people who wrote the Old Testament, they were not aware of the concept of the church, which was hidden from their view, hidden in God. Ephesians 3 verse 9, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. These people writing, these people in the Old Testament, only knew of shadows. A shadow was an image cast by an object and representing the form of that object. But you can't see the object. They couldn't see the object. They could see these shadows. But now the substance, that which was causing the shadow, has come. The Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result, all those shadows have gone. James 1.17 Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So the law with the sacrifices, the rituals, the garments, the commandments, all have given way, just as a shadow disappears in the bright sunshine of noonday. So they've gone. They had to yield to the light of the Son of God in all his resurrected glory. Many today, sadly, still wish to keep living within the shadows. But the old covenant is dead and its shadows are deadly. A new covenant has begun in Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's what Peter says when he was writing in his first epistle, chapter 1, and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away. It's not a shadow. Reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, 
ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. That's the position we are in today. Each one of us has this inheritance and we have received the salvation of our souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. They searched, but it was hid in God. They could only see the shadows. Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into what a wonderful privileged position we in this age of grace live they were searching as to what God was really saying but it was for us Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us. They were ministering for us. And that's why it says in Romans 15 verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And how wonderful. To see some aspects of the Lord Jesus Christ in the old prophets and men of the Old Testament. But how much more wonderful for us to be able to see all the beauties and glory of Jesus Christ. And seeing those shadows totally and completely fulfilled in our Lord and Saviour. And that's why we studied the Old Testament, because it was written for our learning. And now we come to Joseph. And there are so many aspects of the life of Joseph that are reflections, albeit poor reflections, of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to look at a few. We have this blessing that Moses gave the tribe of Joseph. Blessed be his land. All about the land. But we want to see in the life of Joseph. Let's go back a bit. We'll take a little time. We'll just pick out a few. There are so many. I have to try and just select some. 
Genesis, we go to Genesis 37. The life of Joseph goes on for quite a long section of the book of Genesis. Takes up quite a lot of space. So, Joseph in Genesis 37 and Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And you go to verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. He loved Joseph. And we know that last week as we were speaking that Jesus was the beloved of his father. Matthew 3 verse 17. And then John 1 verse 18. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten son. Which is in the bosom of the father. He hath declared him. God loved his only begotten son. And he sent him to die. At Calvary. That's the amazing thing. If you go to verse 4, the next verse, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him. They hated him. And could not speak peaceably unto him. They just didn't like him. John 1.11 He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Jesus came to the Jewish nation, his own people, and his own Received him not. John 15 verse 18. If the world hate you. Ye know that it hated me. Before it hated you. Jesus said. John 15 25. They hated me. Without a cause. Oh yes. Joseph's brothers thought they had a reason. The world hated Jesus without a cause. It's interesting, you know, if you look at the story in, in chapter 37 of Genesis. His brethren, his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem, verse 12. And then Israel said to Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them and he said to him here am I I thought this was interesting isn't it there was the, the brethren had gone off with the sheep and old Israel said brethren are in Shechem will you go and see how they are and straight away he said here am I send me they went off let's read on and he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence, 
For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. He went in search of his brethren. First John 4 verse 14 And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. Jesus said he came not to condemn the world but to seek and to save mankind from sin and a lost eternity. John 3.17 For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. How willingly, how willingly Joseph said to his father here am I. How willingly our Lord left the glory of heaven. He though he was rich yet for our sakes he became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. He came to seek his brethren. But it says he came unto his own and his own received him not. Of course one reason why his brothers hated him as well was the fact that he had said that they would bow down to him in obeisance to him. You read, go back to verse 7, it says, For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheep, sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And they said, Shalt thou reign over us, or shalt thou have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and his words. How truly, how truly this of course was portrayed by the shouts of the crowd in Jerusalem. John 19.15 But they cried away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. They hated Jesus. They rejected him, his own people. In Luke 19 we have the parable that Jesus told. And in that parable they rejected the son. And they said, We will not have this man to reign over us. Of course, this all pointed to a time when, as it says in Romans 14:11, "As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God." Philippines 2:11, "And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord." To the glory of God the Father. This, what was happening to Joseph, points to a much more wonderful time when all knees shall bow and recognize that Jesus Christ, whether they like it or not, whether they want to or not, every knee shall bow and recognize Jesus Christ, perhaps as their judge. At the last day.
And we know also that Joseph's brethren were blessed through Joseph. You know the story as we go through Genesis, we read that the brethren eventually were blessed through Joseph. And there will come a day when his brethren will acknowledge Jesus as their true Messiah. That day will come. Those who shouted away with him, away with him, we will not have this man to reign over us and we have no king but Caesar. Crucify him, crucify him. The Jewish nation will someday recognize Jesus as their true Messiah, the one who died for them. Zechariah 12 and verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness of his firstborn. They will look upon Jesus, the one whom they have pierced, and they will mourn and recognize him as their true Messiah. And so his brethren went that little bit further. They conspired to kill him. Genesis 37 verse 18. And when they saw Joseph afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. And how that fits in so well with what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. The chief priests, his brethren in the flesh, did likewise to slay Jesus. Matthew 26.13 Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. And you know, they took Joseph and they put him down in the pit and eventually some traders came along. Genesis 37 and verse 28. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Matthew 26 and verse 15 we have what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ 26 and verse 15 one of the twelve called 
Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Sold for silver. There's a lot more, a lot more we could say about Joseph. Joseph was tempted in Potiphar's house. His wife tried to uh, entice him into immorality. In this instance, he was without sin. Both were falsely accused and falsely retained. Joseph was imprisoned with two malefactors. One died and the other was given life. Jesus was crucified between two malefactors. One railed on him and the other said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said, Today you shalt be with me in paradise. One died and one lived. So much more. We need to spend a few weeks studying how the life of Joseph reflects in some way aspects of the Lord Jesus. He married a Gentile bride. Our Lord rejected at present by his beloved people, his brethren. But he has been betrothed to the church, his bride. The Gentile bride. He one day will come to take his bride to himself. Then he will reveal himself to his own brethren and set up his millennium reign. And you know, if you go to Genesis 45, you see what happened when, after all the, the various things that uh, Joseph arranged for his brethren to have to put up with, putting the, the money back in the, in the sacks and all that kind of thing. But in the end, he revealed himself to his brethren. Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. Jesus, as we said in that verse in Zechariah, will one day reveal himself to his brethren. But the church will have gone. The Gentile church will have been taken away as these Gentiles here were taken away from the presence of Joseph while he revealed himself unto his brethren. The, 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 the church, his bride, will have been raptured and then Jesus will come and reveal himself unto his brethren. You know the blessings of Joseph by Moses whilst it could apply to the earthly blessings in Deuteronomy 33 given to the tribe of Joseph. However it does not and cannot be applied 
to blessings that will apply to the church. But at a time, this passage here, these blessings which will apply to Joseph in Genesis 33 will apply at the time when Jesus comes and reveals himself unto his brethren and when he will set up his millennium kingdom. The type, when we look at all these types of men, Moses had aspects of his life which reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph had many. But the type never comes up to the reality. The amazing thing is that Jesus is altogether lovely. We saw last week when we were talking about the Song of Solomon. Eventually it says, He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend. What did Jesus say about you and me? He said, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Oh, let us look at the beauties and glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to look at all the aspects of these things in the Old Testament. They're written there for our learning, for us to discuss. But we must glorify the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We have received the Holy Spirit. And he has come into our lives. And he, one of the things which the Holy Spirit does is he will glorify me, Jesus said. And as we go about our daily walk with him, may our lives daily glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wondrous compassion and purity. O Spirit divine, all my nature refine, till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me.